ultimately I think it comes down to freedom. That has been the value that I keep coming back to is the thing that is really at the center of my happiness when I have the freedom and flexibility to spend my time the way that I want to spend it. Welcome to the Freedom Lifestyle podcast series, a series that is so much more than just a podcast series. This is a movement towards freedom in life and in work and about taking a lifestyle you know you deserve. I'm your host, Sam, and I have always admired working where you want, when you want, and how you want. Just like my guests, I found my version of the freedom lifestyle, and I'm sharing all the secrets for how you can too. The freedom lifestyle looks different for everyone. What's your free? It's episode 14, and this one includes an interview with Lisa Zamparo. Lisa dreamed about working on Bay Street and making six figures by the age of 30. So that's what she did. She got her CPA designation, she got a job at a big accounting firm, and she began to climb the corporate ladder. Lisa had the financial success, but it wasn't what she expected. She didn't feel happy. She was living for the weekend, and she felt disconnected from the freedom she valued. So, on her honeymoon, Lisa and her very, very newlywed husband, they took a three-hour hike and they planned how she would quit her job and become an entrepreneur. Now, before we meet the oh-so-brilliant Lisa Zamparo, I wanted to give a shout-out to one of the coolest companies who I'm friggin' loving working with. Fiverr is the world's largest online marketplace for freelance services, beginning at a cost of $5 per job. Their model is geniusly simple, and the innovators behind this awesome brand, they're coming to Toronto June 5th, and they're hosting a free event. Yes, we are all invited. Visit my website at whatsyourfree.com to RSVP and discover other Freedom Lifestyle events we're hosting over the next few months. While I love, love, love being in your ears, it's so nice to connect in real life. Now, on to episode 14 with Lisa. Lisa, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for making time with me so late in the evening. No problem. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. I've actually never done an evening podcast taping, so I'll have to make sure I bring lots of energy to this convo. I think it's going to be fine. Me too. (laughs) What's great about this episode of my interview with you is I actually don't know a ton about you. We've had a couple conversations, but I think this is going to be just as much an informative conversation for myself, which is always more interesting. Very cool. So I'd love to start with a little bit about your journey to freedom and how you ultimately became full-time free as an entrepreneur. Where does this journey start for you? Did you grow up wanting to have a business of your own and be an entrepreneur? Yeah, I think I've always been interested in business probably because both of my parents were self-employed. So I grew up with that sort of a role model. And in fact, uh, my grandfather is still self-employed. He runs his own business at the age of 81. Oh my goodness. Yeah, and he was actually one of my very first clients when I went out on my own. That's Um, so fun. Yeah, so it's definitely been a part of my upbringing, a part of my family. Um, And I think I started like my first on my own job, actually, in high school. I was a piano teacher Um, and I didn't do it through a school per se. I guess it was kind of a franchise model. My teacher wanted to bring on 
younger, she wanted to build out a school and bring on young piano teachers. So I had the opportunity to get in that way. And then after a year, I had enough experience to kind of sell for my own personal brand and get my own clients in. So that was a really great experience of learning how to grow a business, I guess. Definitely. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of like early entrepreneur businesses like that. Even babysitting. I feel like my first actual job, like not on the books, which I mean, <laughs> you're all about the books, but <laughs> was babysitting. And that was very much about me building my personal brand and networking in the neighborhood and me offering a quality service. And you never think about it, but those kind of are the early like entrepreneurial experiences you have as a youth. Exactly. So what type of education did you have and what were your early job experiences leading up to being an entrepreneur? Mm -hmm. So in high school, I was kind of on track to become an engineer. I was in the sciences, physics and maths, and I missed a a key class in chemistry. I didn't understand the mole. And for some reason that just felt so pivotal that I don't understand chemistry, so I have it all wrong. And I kind of did like a reevaluation of, okay, if I don't want to go into sciences, what do I want to do? And my mom had suggested to me, why don't you check out business and accounting? That's a great career for a woman. And so I thought like, okay, I'll try an accounting class. And it was like, love it first number crunch. <laughs> like after the first class I walked out and was like, yup, this is for me. So that then put me on the path to decide I wanted to become an accountant. So I decided to become a chartered accountant, which is now called the chartered professional accountant or the CPA. My short term goal wasn't actually to start my own business. I knew, I always knew in my gut that somehow I was going to end up there. And I knew that having a business background would help me along that way. But my goal was to get a job on Bay Street and earn six figures by the time I was 30. So that's what I was working towards. And it was through my journey on Bay Street and working with really big businesses where I guess I got a little bit, I lost sight of the, the ultimate goal of running my own business. And I got really caught up in climbing the corporate ladder and trying to get to that six-figure salary. And then it was just before my 30th birthday, I was there almost. I was a few thousand dollars shy of that goal. But when I took stock of my life, I recognized like, I'm actually not very happy. And that is what brought me back to remember, okay, why did I get into this in the first place? Oh yes, I, I wanted to build something for myself. Okay, maybe it's time to start thinking about that. Hmm, that's so interesting. Where do you think that I need to have six figures by the time I'm 30 ambition or that definition of success came from? Oh my gosh, that is such a good question. I think... Because you've reevaluated what success looks like for you. Exactly, exactly. Where I think I might trace it back to was a book that I read when I was nine called um, My Kids Are Going to Be Rich and Yours Will Too. My godfather actually gave me that book because I was really into math, I guess, and he knew that personal finance was important. So I read this book and the core message in it was around compounding interest and how the earlier you start saving, the bigger your savings can multiply. So I think from reading that book and seeing these tables of how by saving on a regular basis, you could get get to a million dollars, you know, by your retirement age without having to earn a ton. Somewhere in that math, I probably latched onto that number of like, ooh, $100,000 like that. That would be really exciting. And if I could do that really young, I'd be able to save a lot and get to that million dollars for retirement really young. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Even when you tell me that story of saving and compounding interest, it's a bit triggering for someone who myself, who has never been that into finances and savings, Mm. you instantly go into like FOMO mode Mm. of, oh my goodness, I'm 28. Like how much have I been missing out? I'm sure you hear that a lot from some of your clients. Like how do you change that mindset of there's still so much time? Well, I got to be honest, even though I was earning a lot of money at 30, I wasn't saving it. Okay, I wasn't that makes doing, you feel better. Yeah, I wasn't doing the things that my younger self wanted 
to do. That's an interesting part of my story too, because now I, you know, I, I'm a personal finance expert, but sometimes I struggle with that because I haven't always made the best choices. Even though I've had the education and the understanding of the principles, I haven't always been able to apply them in my life. And so that's one of the key messages that I talk about now in my business is that it's one thing to know what you should be doing and it's quite another to be actually doing it. And I think it's really important to learn those habits and learning them at 30 is not too late. I see a lot of people in their 50s that are only having that awakening then to say, oh, I, you know, I want to retire in 10 years, but I haven't really started saving. How do I do that now? So yes, 30 might feel late to the game, but it's all in the bigger context, I would say. Got it. So it's never too late to start saving? It's never too late. What's that <laughs> saying about how... The best time to plant an oak tree is 10 years ago, and the second best time is today. So I was reading in the notes for this pre-interview that you actually decided to make a career transition while you were on your honeymoon. I would love to hear that story, and what were those conversations like? Yeah, that's one of my favorite stories to tell, and I, I remember when it was happening, it felt so epic, and it's certainly like a time in my life I look back on and think like, wow, that was a really great three-hour hike. So here was the story. I got I got married in August of 2014, but it was, I would say, the January before that, the beginning of the year where it really hit me that I needed to make a change in my career. So I had started, spent some time thinking about, okay, if I don't want to you know, work on Bay Street or work in finance at a corporation, what do I want to do instead? I looked at a lot of different options. Ultimately, I landed on I can still use my skills in finance, but just apply them a little bit differently. One of the ways I thought about doing that was helping people with their personal finances. And then I learned about the personal financial designation, the CFP, and I realized that's actually a job. So, okay, I'm gonna do this. So on the honeymoon, I what we were really talking about is, okay, now that you have this, this new vision for what you want your career to be, how do we make that happen? Because it's really hard to just quit your job and not change your lifestyle as I'm sure you've experienced and from listening to the podcast I hear a lot of people are talking about that of one of the biggest challenges is the financial challenge right so how do we plan for that so that felt like kind of an interesting opportunity to use the skills that I was going to be helping other people with on myself and on our family so we went on this hike and we took the three hours to just talk through the different options of you know well how much do you think you could be earning what are different ways that we could phase back from work and it felt it felt like just have like dreaming you know where you're you're just playing with ideas of what could be what's possible and it felt like nothing was impossible and it was so cool to do it on our honeymoon because that was also a really important time for us in our relationship you know we had just crossed that milestone so we've just to have just gone through this beautiful experience of getting married and then to be in the south of france walking on these amazing trails and just dreaming about what are the next five years going to look like for us that just felt so incredible and was that a planned conversation? Like, okay, babe, we're going to go on this hike and we're going to talk you through this career transition. Or was it very just reactive and fluid? And Yeah, I don't remember it being planned, which is funny. Um, I think actually what had happened on that hike was it was it was three hours in to get to the beach that we were going to and then three hours out. And we didn't really know that. So the three hours in was like, oh my God, how are we going to like, when are we going to get there? When are we going to get there? And then on the way back, we knew it was three hours. So we're like, well, you know, what could we spend three hours talking about? And I guess that was the topic that surfaced. And that's now become a theme in our relationship. Whenever we go on vacations, we go on a hike and we'll take that hour to just talk about how are things going? Like, what's a goal that you've been working on? Like, let's talk through that one. And it's interesting every time that we come back to it, how just watching our progression 
in our life and being able to say, I remember last time we were talking about this. Well, now we've achieved that. Like, what's the next phase of that goal? So that's been really fun. That's very interesting. And there's also some science behind like moving and your brain and creative so. thinking. Like a lot of people are having more walking meetings and have made that connection. So it sounds like it's been working out for you. Totally. And your primary reason for making that career change was happiness, mm-hmm. correct? That's right. What about your previous career was preventing you from being happy? Ultimately, I think it comes down to freedom. That has been the value that I keep coming back to is the thing that is really at the center of my happiness when I have the freedom and flexibility to spend my time the way that I want to spend it. So it wasn't so much necessarily the work I was doing because actually the work I do right now is very similar. Accounting and business and tax and finance. I'm doing the same things just in a different setting, right? So now when I wake up, it's not, I don't have this feeling like I need to be at my desk at eight or else, you know, my my team they need me or that's like the requirement of my job. If I'm at my desk by eight, it's because I choose to be. I can totally relate to, it's not that different from what you were doing. It's just kind of more on your own terms Mm -hmm. now. Yeah, I was actually just prior to this hanging out with some of my previous colleagues and telling them how some of my gigs right now, I'm securing sponsors and pitching media. And they're like, so you're basically using your sales skills and your prospecting process. And it's like, Yeah, I guess so. I basically just took all those skills and those experiences I had and applied them to a role where I could have that freedom and ultimately the happiness that I was pursuing. So it sounds very similar to your transition. Mm -hmm. I don't know if this is true for you, but I, I think the common thing here is that the thing that we're putting our energy into is for a purpose that we believe in. So when I was working on Bay Street, I was helping corporations become more profitable. And that to me felt a little bit empty because there wasn't... For me, there wasn't a direct person at the other end of my work that I could see was personally benefiting from what I was doing. And now that I work with individuals and business owners directly, and when I give them advice, I can see it directly impact their life. Like that's a mission that I can get behind. Absolutely. And was that transition totally smooth sailing? Were there any road bumps along the way that you had to kind of overcome going from corporate, a few thousand dollars shy of six (laughs) figures? I would not say that it's been without its road bumps and blocks. I think the biggest one, I mean, financially it was definitely a challenge, but it was a challenge I was expecting and one that I had a plan for. But the one that I wasn't expecting was the confidence. When I faced something that didn't turn out the way I thought it was going to, the being okay with failure. And I don't know why that one surprised me so much because I've always heard that saying about like, don't be afraid to fail. Fear is just an opportunity to learn. And I think intellectually I understood all those things. But when I was actually living it, it was really scary, really scary. I think for me, it's something about rejection. I Mm. feel like that's been kind of my word of the week that I keep bringing up in my conversations as just the rejection of being an entrepreneur. I feel like For every one person that thinks you're amazing, this is brilliant, you're a genius, you're doing exactly what you should be doing, I have like five people that are like, no, we're good, Mm -hmm. we're not interested in your vibe. So would you say like failure is associated with rejection or how does failure play up in the world of finance and kind of how you play? I think you're right. It's it's the the failure of not getting clients as fast as I thought. I think that was the ultimate failure for me was that I had the plan for what this transition would look like, but my business didn't grow as fast as I expected it to. And I think maybe I set myself up for that failure with unrealistic expectations, which is something now that I coach young entrepreneurs through of like, okay, let's be realistic. We also have to have a plan that's a dream and have a a realistic plan. But I think 
I felt that you know, because I already have business training and I've been working on Bay Street, I get all of this stuff. So that was kind of a, a self-awareness thing that I realized, oh, actually it's really different when you're doing it yourself. And something else that's different about being an entrepreneur is when you're selling a service, you're in a way selling yourself because it's your idea and it's the thing that you believe in. So that rejection when somebody says, no, I'm good, it feels very personal. Whereas if you're working for another company and you're selling their products or service, you have that, that layer of disassociation of saying, well, if, if somebody says no or they don't like it, it's not really me. I'm just doing this job for somebody else. 100%. Mm -hmm. I totally back that. Do you feel that because of that, though, you also bring your A game? Totally. Mm -hmm. Totally. So because it's all on you. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the interesting things about life is, you know, the yin and the yang, there's good and bad in everything. And I've definitely learned that from entrepreneurship that with all of the benefits of freedom and flexibility and limitless potential, there's also the challenges of, you know, feeling insecure and, and those sorts of things. So what do you tell yourself on those days? Like, how do you stay motivated? How do you build your resilience and power through on those downs? I have a business bestie. My very first manager at my very first job on Bay Street, um, she ended up starting a business about a year ago. And when she launched that business, she got in touch with me and said, hey, like, I'm, I'm looking for an accountability buddy. You know, why don't we kind of see if this works for us? And we have a, a 45 minute phone call every Monday Wow, it's structured. Mm -hmm. I mean, what we talk about is different. Sometimes we end up talking for two hours. Sometimes it's 20 minutes. What we're currently doing that's working for us is we each come with a problem. And we present the problem and the other person helps talk us through it. They don't give us, she doesn't give me the solution, but will kind of act as the coach to say, well, did you think about this? And what do you really feel about that? And help, help me envision the outcome that I want. And I do the same for her. Hmm. And so other than saving, what are some of the most common mistakes that you're seeing with young entrepreneurs and young startups that we should be aware of? Mm -hmm. Not having a plan. I see a lot of business plans about, you know, what's the vision and mission and purpose of my organization? What am I trying to accomplish? What is my product? But the financial plan behind it can be really lacking. Like knowing this is one of the most common things that sometimes shocks me, but I think I've learned not to be shocked by it because maybe it's just me that thinks you need to know this. Um, but like, for example, how many products do you need to sell to break even? Or how many clients do you need to have to be able to pay your rent? Because if you can answer those kinds of concrete numbers, a lot of your financial stress will disappear because I think a lot of financial stress is actually based on uncertainty and unknowing and just this lack of clarity around, you know, how much work do I actually need to do to be okay? And when you have specific sales targets, be it products or hours that you're working, that transforms that sort of ambiguous problem into an actual target. And then you have a goal and you can start working towards it. That makes so much sense. And that's mm -hmm. a, such a simple way of explaining it. So why do you think that smart, driven, ambitious young entrepreneurs are not doing something that is so simple of just like knowing their numbers? When am I profitable? What do I need to hit to at least like get my return like what do you think is holding people back from doing that i think it's like the mathematical structure behind it that it requires a certain like just framework for thinking that we aren't necessarily taught how to do the actual math in business is quite simple you know it's addition subtraction multiplication some percentages so the the math behind business is not complicated and everyone has the skills to do it but it's like the framework of how to th how to think about it that i find is is really lacking 
for me, like getting caught up in the day to day, it's kind of the last thing on your to-do list is planning. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm so caught up in just like the next, the next, the next. So I'm sure that's happening to a lot of your clients. So you're adding a lot of value. I think some people can get caught up in the planning side too, because actually because planning is my strength, that was also my weakness that I spent a lot of time in my first two years of business doing a business plan and looking at the numbers and saying, okay, how many sales do I need to get? But not actually going out and trying to get them because I was afraid. Mm-hmm. So the opposite. Yeah. More planning, less execution, too much execution, not enough planning. Got it. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to the freedom lifestyle and this movement that you're now officially part of, although you've been part of the Facebook group for a while, mm-hmm. what about it resonates with you? I see it as the way of the future, really. When I think about what's happening in the economy at a very high level, and we look at what was going on for a parent. Their vision of success was to get a job at a big corporation, have a pension, right? And they often stayed in their jobs for their entire career. And what I'm seeing with you know, our generation and um, like you know, the students that are coming into the workforce is their, their idea of success is different. It's not just about getting a job with a salary and having security, that is important, but it's more about making a contribution and doing something that feels important and special to you. So when I think about the freedom lifestyle, for me, it's not just about working on the beach in, with your laptop. I mean, that's a component of it if you want, but I see it more as a way of thinking about a career in general, of creating a career for yourself in a way that lets you make a difference in the world. I love that. And are you hooked? Like, do you think that you're unemployable now or could you go back to Bay Street and work for someone else? Right now I feel unemployable because of that freedom. Um, That I don't see any jobs or companies right now that give me the degree of freedom that I have and that makes me so happy. So it's not to say that there's a company of the future that won't allow that. And in fact, in a way, that's the company that I'm trying to build is to help other CPAs who want to do what I'm doing, do that through my framework. Okay, so my final question before the rapid fire round. This went by so fast. I know, I know. I noticed in the pre-interview your comments around some bad advice you received regarding social media etiquette. Mm. I'd love to just hear an update on how you're thinking about social media right now, your strategy, and talk a little bit about that feedback you had received. Mm -hmm. So my answer to that question, the worst advice I'd been given was kind of generic. It was like any advice that was really specific about your newsletters should not be published on Monday or Friday, or in order to grow on social media you have to post three times a day those specific tactics work for some people not for others i think everyone's just kind of figuring it out and once somebody hits on a formula that works for them we kind of assume that's going to work for everyone and from watching different people succeed i've noticed everyone does it in their own way Um, and why that felt like bad advice for me was because i think it scared me into thinking if i don't follow the formula i'm going to fail And it took me away from my own inner knowledge of knowing like what was right for me. Um, So my take now on social media is to do what feels good. Be where feels good. If um, I'm not a huge Facebook user, I spend most of my time on Instagram. And like a year ago, that really freaked me out because I see Facebook groups are growing like rapid fire and I think I should be in there. But if I'm not naturally drawn to that, then that's, that's fine. I really believe there's enough for everyone in every different sort of space and just figuring out what feels right. Because when when things feel right, I think you get into that kind of, that vibe that whatever you're putting out there, other people are gonna understand or they're gonna pick up on and be like, oh, I like that. Like she's just being her and that is good. Mm-hmm. But that, that, looks, that, that resonates with me. 
at least the right people. Mm-hmm. I think that haters going to hate and not everybody's going to like what you're putting out, but you just hope that the right people will have access to your content and will look at it in a very loving, admirable way and say, yeah, I dig what she's doing and I see value in her content. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Okay. Well, we're going to do the rapid fire questions. So I have some questions here planned for you that are specific to you. Mm. They're going to be very quick. You're just going to say the first thing that comes to your mind. There's no right or wrong answer. Are you ready? I guess. (laughs) iPhone or Android? iPhone. Coffee or tea? Tea. Puppies or kittens? Puppies. Favorite morning ritual? (laughs) I want to say sleeping in. Yeah, that's cool. Pancakes or waffles? Neither. Same. Night owl or morning dove? I wish I was a morning dove, but I'm a night owl. Same. Burning Man or Coachella? Coachella. What's your worst habit? Unrealistic expectations. What's your favorite thing about yourself? My optimism and that I love solving problems. Someone you'd love to have lunch with? My mom. I don't spend enough time with her. So good. (laughs) Something you wish you knew more about? Building online courses. Favorite podcast other than mine? The Jess Lively Show. Mm, You told me about it. Mm -hmm. Amazing. That's it. That was awesome. Yes. I got so much value from this. I think that you're such an intelligent woman. You're so bright. I'm so glad we met. I'm so happy for you that you made this transition and you're doing your thing. And I I can't wait to continue to watch you be successful. So thank you. Thank you so much, Sam. That's really kind of you. I really mean it. Thank you so much for listening to episode 14. If you found this one valuable, please, please, please share it with your network so I can inspire other freedom seekers. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and leave me a review in iTunes. My goal is 100 reviews by the time this season ends. And right now I'm at 75. So we've got this. Oh, that was really fun. That was really fun. You're really good.